Oh, Lord Jesus, we thank you that you died on the cross for our sins. And you paid for the penalty of our sins with your own blood. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you were resurrected from the dead after three days. We thank you that you're seated at the right hand of God the Father. That you are our advocate before the Father. Lord, I pray that until the day we draw our last breath on this earth, that we would love you and we would serve you with all of our hearts. Lord, we've got you. How could we ever want more? In your name we pray. Amen. I want to ask you a question this morning as we start. If you had to give a grade to your prayer life, what kind of grade would you give yourself? Would it be an A? Would it be a B? Would it be a C? Would it be a D? Or would it be an F? To be honest with you, there are so many believers who are sitting in churches all across America today who do not feel good about the prayer lives. And I ask myself, why, why is it that we as believers struggle so much with our prayer lives? And I jotted down a, a few reasons that I, I figured out in my own mind. One is guilt. We don't feel good about our prayer life because we we're guilty about our prayer life. We don't feel like we pray enough. We don't feel like we pray the right way. Some people are, 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 are struggling with their prayer life because of confusion. They don't know how to pray. And some people struggle with their prayer lives because of frustration. They prayed a prayer and God didn't seem to answer that prayer the way they voiced it. And God has not answered that prayer in the timing with which they long for him to answer that prayer. And they're frustrated. Or could it be just simple lethargy? We don't have time to pray. We're undisciplined in our prayer lives. You know, prayer was important to Jesus. Did you know that? Jesus often prayed alone. He would go up on a mountain by himself and pray. He prayed when others were present, his disciples and even the crowds. He prayed all night several times, all night. And he prayed before major events in his life. You remember before Jesus went to the cross of Calvary? I guess Gethsemane came before Golgotha, right? And Jesus went to Gethsemane and he poured out his heart to God in prayer. And I'm so glad that the Bible records that scene and those words that Jesus uttered to the Father. Prayer play, played a, a significant role 
in the growth of the kingdom and the growth of the church as recorded in the book of Acts. If you were to do a, a summary uh, study of the book of Acts, you would discover the importance of prayer. In Acts 4, 23-31, the believers prayed for courage to witness for Jesus. In Acts 9, 11, Saul of Tarsus prayed after his conversion. In Acts 10, 1-4, Cornelius, uh, the Roman centurion, prayed that God would show him how to be saved. In Acts chapter 10, verse 9, Peter was praying when God instructed him to go and share the gospel with Cornelius. In Acts chapter 12, 1 through 11, the believers prayed for Peter's deliverance from prison and certain death. In Acts 13, 1 through 3, the church in Antioch fasted and prayed before sending Barnabas and Paul on their missionary journey. In Acts 16, 13, it was at a prayer meeting in Philippi that God opened Lydia's heart to believe in Jesus. In Acts 27, 35, Paul prayed for God's help and blessing during a ferocious storm. We know prayer is important because of the emphasis it receives in the Word of God. In John chapter 14, verses 12 through 14, Jesus, just before he would be crucified within a matter of hours, said this to his disciples, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to the Father." Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 2, Paul wrote to the Colossian church and said this, Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. And there are many more verses scattered throughout the New Testament that emphasize the importance of prayer in a believer's life and the importance of a a prayer in a New Testament church. Now, Paul wrote two letters to the church at Thessalonica. The believers there were going through a very difficult time. False teachers were undermining Paul's teaching, and they were also undermining his credibility. They were teaching things that did not square up with the gospel. And on top of that, these believers in Thessalonica were being severely persecuted for their faith. Because of that persecution, Paul could only spend a short time with them. However, the time that he spent there and the truth that he taught them had a profound impact on those believers in that fledgling New Testament church. Paul knew that following Jesus would never be easy. Therefore, he was eager to hear how that group of believers in that that new church plant were doing spiritually. Because of that, he sent Timothy to check things out with them and to make sure they were doing okay. 
in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 6 through 8, the Bible says, but now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us good news of your faith and love and that you always think kindly of us, longing to see us just as we also long to see you. For this reason, brethren, in all our distress and affliction, we were comforted about you through your faith. For now we really live if you stand firm in the Lord. Now, Timothy's report back to the apostle Paul lifted his spirits. He learned that they were anxious to see him and that they were standing firm in their faith. In his first letter to this church, Paul clearly emphasized a truth that I want to drop in your heart this morning. It's a very simple truth, but it's a truth that is so vital for every born-again believer within the sound of my voice. It's three words. You'll remember these words. Prayer is essential. Would you repeat that after me? Prayer is essential. It's essential to your life as a follower of Jesus Christ. I'll tell you, it is essential to the life and ministry of Carnival First Baptist Church. I want you to see how Paul stressed this point of the vitality of prayer by revealing four key principles that served as a foundation for his own ministry of prayer. So what we're going to do today, we're going to look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, and we're going to put Paul's prayer ministry under a microscope. And we're going to see what made his prayer ministry so effective and how our prayer ministry can be effective if we adopt the principles of prayer that Paul um, served as an example for all of us. Here, here's the first principle. Number one, the privilege of prayer. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 9, for what thanks can we render to God for you in return for all the joy with which we rejoice before our God on your account? The word render in the Greek language carries the idea of something that is due. It's due. Like, a, like a, you check a library book out of the library and it's got a due date on the back, right? And you need to turn it in before the due date so you're not fined for turning it in late. So that's what this word render means. It's the idea of something that is due. Paul was so thankful that the church at Thessalonica had weathered the enemy's attack and that they were standing firm in the faith. And, and, and Paul knew that it was his responsibility to pray. Prayer is a, a privilege Prayer is a responsibility that Paul had, and it's a responsibility and a privilege that every born-again believer has themselves. This great apostle knew that the power of the risen Christ had worked in the lives of those Thessalonian believers, and that's the reason they were able to stand firm in their faith 
even against the onslaught of persecution and problems. How could he not pray for them, right? Listen, prayer is a marvelous privilege that the Lord has made available not just to the Apostle Pauls of the kingdom, but God has made the privilege of prayer available to every born-again believer from a little boy or little girl all the way to the oldest saint that's alive in this church. It's a privilege that God has put before us. In Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 to 16, Paul, uh, the, the writer of Hebrews reveals to us just what a privilege it is. The Bible says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence. You hear that now? Therefore, let us draw near with confidence. Where? To the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This morning... We're getting an up-close and personal look at Paul's ministry of prayer. And the first principle that we discover as we put Paul's prayer ministry under the microscope is this. It's the privilege of prayer. Here's the second principle. The persistence of prayer. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10, Paul continues, as we night and day keep praying. Now, I want you to look at that, those three words, night and day. The emphasis here is not on the time of his praying, but on the persistence of his praying. It doesn't mean that he prayed for two hours at night and two hours in the morning. He's referring here, the Holy Spirit wants us to understand the persistence of Paul's prayer life. The Word of God constantly emphasizes persistence when it comes to prayer. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, Jesus said, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. And all three of those verbs, all three of the ask, seek, and knock, are in the present tense. Literally, we could translate it like this. Keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. Persistence in your prayer life. And then in Ephesians 6, 18, Paul wrote, With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. And then later on in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, Paul wrote these three words. He said, pray without ceasing. 
Now he didn't, he didn't mean that we were, we were to pray 24 hours a day, seven days a week and never stop praying. He's, he's saying prayer should be a vital, essential part of your life as a believer. You ought to always be sensitive to the need for prayer in your life. Now with that scriptural emphasis in mind, the persistence of prayer, I want you to just think for just a moment how that could impact your life as a believer. Do you have a wayward son or daughter? Do you have a stronghold of sin in your life? Do you need to be healed from a sickness? Do you need a financial breakthrough? Do you want to see your marriage restored? Do you want to see a great kingdom advance? Here's what we've got to do. If you, if you want any of this stuff in your life, you've got to keep on praying. You've got to be persistent in your prayer life. Church, listen, prayer is our declaration of dependence upon God, not ourselves. Here's the truth. We've got to sear into our souls this morning. Three words. Repeat them with me. Prayer is essential. Let's say it again. Prayer is essential. It's essential. It's essential for your life as a born-again believer. It's essential for the life and ministry of Carnival First Baptist Church. Now, as we examine the prayer ministry of the Apostle Paul, We've seen the first and second principles of an active and effective ministry of prayer. The first one is the privilege of prayer. The second is the persistence of prayer. Here's the third one, the passion of prayer. Notice what Paul says in verse 10. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10. As we night and day keep praying, now notice these two words, most earnestly most earnestly that we may see your face and may com complete what is lacking in your faith now the word earnestly implies an extraordinary degree involving a considerable excess over what would be expected there was an intensity about Paul's praying that we could and we should learn to emulate. When I, I read this, this verse, I immediately thought of that occasion in the history of the southern kingdom of Judah when the Assyrian army threatened King Hezekiah and his kingdom. The odds were overwhelming. I, I mean, when when you looked at the, the size and the scope of the Assyrian army and you compared it to Hezekiah's army uh, of Judeans, I, I tell you, there was no comparison. They were going to get mopped up by the Assyrians. Do you know what the king did? He sent word to Isaiah the prophet to seek a word from God and for Isaiah the prophet of God to pray. And then Hezekiah himself, the king, went to the temple to pray. You can read about that in Isaiah chapter 37, verses 14 through 20. His prayer 
there in the temple was not hasty or half-hearted. No, it was excessive, over-the-top kind of praying that gained God's attention and resulted in God's supernatural intervention on behalf of his covenant people. Do we exhibit this kind of passion when we pray for each other, when we pray for the advancement of God's kingdom on this earth, when we pray for the salvation of souls and the supernatural growth of the church, God revealed what he expects out of our prayer lives when he said this to his covenant people who were living under Babylonian bondage. You can read about it in Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 10 to 13. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. In other words, you're not going to live under Babylonian bondage for the rest of your existence as a covenant people of God. You're only going to be there for 70 years, God says. I've got a plan for you, a plan for your welfare, a plan to do something special in and through your lives. In verse 12, God said to them, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me. Now look at this. And I will listen to you. God says, I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search me with all your heart. You say, you say, Pastor, do you really believe God listens to me when I pray? Absolutely. Absolutely. Let me ask you, don't you want to live a life of significance in this new year? If we're going to embrace the Kingdom 50 challenge, we've got to shape our prayer lives according to the biblical principles that we've discovered under the microscope as we've examined the ministry, prayer ministry of the Apostle Paul. These include the privilege of prayer. They include the persistence of prayer. And it includes the passion of prayer. Now, there's one more aspect of prayer I want you to see as we look at Paul's prayer ministry under that microscope. Here it is. Number four, the precision of prayer. God did not design prayer to be a net that you throw over everything you need and desire. So, so many people, well, I pray for the missionaries. I pray God bless all the missionaries. That's not the way God designed prayer. God designed prayer to be razor sharp and specific. Paul prayed three specific things for the believers in the church, and it's right here in the text. He didn't pray generally. He prayed specifically. Well, what did he specifically pray for? Well, he prayed for their faith to grow. Look at verses 10 and 11. As we night and day keep praying most earnestly that we may see your face, and look at this, and may complete what is lacking in your faith. 
Now may our God and Father himself and Jesus our Lord direct our way to you. The word complete uh, literally means, uh, it was, excuse me, it was used by fishermen who repaired their nets. It was used by, for surgeons who were setting bones that had been broken and by a politician reconciling opposing factions. As a young church there in Thessalonica, there were some gaps in their doctrinal understanding and their practical application of the truth of God's word. And what Paul longed to see, he longed to see these believers become mature believers. You do understand that once you're saved, and I love the song that Joshua and our praise team sang about getting saved, but you do understand that God's got something else in mind for you other than you getting your ticket punched for heaven, right? You do understand that God's goal for you is to be sanctified, for you to grow in your faith and to mature in your faith, and that is a process that starts the moment of your conversion, and it continues until the moment you step into the glory of heaven and you see Jesus by sight. And Paul was praying that they would grow in their faith. No longer he would dying to get back there to them and to teach them more of the Word of God and the principles of God so they could continue to grow in their faith. But he also prayed for something else, very specific, very precise. He prayed that their love would abound. Look at verse 12. And may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all the people just as we also do for you. It's impressive as you look at this verse 12 to see the, the double progress that Paul mentions. He, he, he mentions about increasing and then abounding in love. That's double progress. And then he, he mentions loving each other and then loving all people. That's another progress that he prays for very specifically. See, Paul knew that suffering can often lead to selfishness. Suffering can lead to us focusing all of our attention upon ourselves and our circumstances. And these believers needed an abundance of God's love. So Paul made it a matter of specific, precise, razor-sharp prayer that he brought before the throne of God's grace as he prayed for these believers. But he also prayed for something else. He prayed for their holiness to increase. Look at verse 13. So that he may establish your hearts without blame in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Now, Paul prayed that the Lord would establish. establish. That, that word speaks of a, a strong foundation for their lives. Positionally, these believers were holy. They were perfectly holy. Do you understand that as a born-again believer, when God the Father looks at your life, he sees you as being just like Jesus. 
He sees you with the perfect righteousness of his son. That's who you are positionally. But practically, we've got a ways to go, right? And what Paul is praying, he said, look, I'm praying to God the Father that he would take what you are positionally and he would work it out in your life practically and that you would become as holy practically as you are positionally in Christ. Now, what was their motivation? Well, it's right here in this verse, right? Look at verse 13 again. So that he may establish your hearts without blame and holiness before a God and Father. Here's the motivation. At the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Listen. History is moving closer and closer to its grand and glorious climax. And that is the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Hey, let me ask you, is your faith growing? Is your love abounding? Is your holiness increasing? I'll tell you, if ever there's been a time when we as a body of Christ need to to, to make prayer a vital part of our lives, an essential part of our lives, it's now. We need to redeem the time. We need to make sure that every moment God allows us to spend on this earth, that we make it a kingdom moment, that we make it a, a moment for kingdom advance. And I'll tell you, prayer is such an important part of that. So we've got to make our prayer life count for the kingdom of God. Now, like the church in Thessalonica, we live in a culture that is continually trying to squeeze us into its devilish mold. I'll tell you, I've never been so aware of that effort just through advertisements on TV. Have you noticed that? I cannot watch a good ball game without seeing all of this devilish, God-forsaken stuff being crammed down our throats from the advertisers who pay their money for the NFL telecast, the, the college telecast, and all that kind of stuff. We will live with that pressure until Jesus comes. You understand that? Do you understand this? It's going to get worse. Do you hear me? It's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. You say, how can you be so sure? Because the Bible says that's exactly what's going to happen in the last days. And so if we're going to be ready, if we're going to be at our very best when Jesus comes, we have got to develop a ministry of prayer that is modeled after the apostle Paul. Now, now what's that like? Well, we're talking about the privilege of prayer. It, we're talking about the persistence of prayer, the passion of prayer, and the precision of prayer. Only God knows how many families could be salvaged, how many souls could be saved, how powerful our worship could become, and how many members of this church God would call to be laborers in the harvest field if only we would devote ourselves to prayer. Prayer's the key, folks. But to be effective in prayer, you've got to be saved, right? 
Do you realize there are no prayer promises in the Bible offered to someone who has rejected Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Every prayer promise in the Bible is given to those who are believers. Now listen to me very carefully. If you're watching by live stream, if you happen to be in this building today and you're not a born-again believer, wouldn't you like to consider committing your life to Jesus? Can I ask you a question? How's your life going without Jesus? Do you feel like something's missing? I mean, you've been searching, you, you, you've tried this and you've experimented with that and you've experimented with that and there's a, a gaping hole in your heart, in your soul and nothing can fill it. I tell you, Jesus can fill it. He loves you. The Son of God loves you and he died on the cross for your sins and he was raised from the dead so that you could be justified before the Father. Hey, if you would like to talk to someone about what it means to commit your life to Jesus, in just a moment, I'm going to ask our staff to come, and we're going to have a time of worship. And I want you to come to one of our staff members and, and just tell them, ask them this question, can you help me to understand what it means to commit my life to Jesus? to be saved like we sang about a few moments ago. We'd love to help you. We'd love to talk to you about that. You can email us. You can text us. You can drop by the church office. We'll spend time with you. And I tell you, the greatest time to do it is right now, right this moment. So I want you to come to one of our staff members in just a moment. And just tell them, I, I want you to explain to me what it means to commit myself to Jesus. But I want to say a final word to the believers in this room. There are two specific ways that I want to put before you today for you to take your prayer life to the next level. You know, I, I used to get frustrated with pastors who would challenge me to do something and then not tell me how to do it or give me a way to do it. So we want to give you two specific ways that you can take your prayer life to the next level and you can make it a vital part of your life. The first one is 24 Pray. It's a prayer ministry that we started here some time ago. Uh, it's 24 hours a day, one day a week. We pray around the clock. We pray um, about, for personal holiness. We pray for the church's ministry. We pray for the city of Memphis, our own community. We pray for missions. And I want you to be a part of that. It's 30 minutes a week. And you pick out the 30 minutes. Nobody tells you when you got to do it. And we only ask for you to make a commitment from the last of January through May. And, and Immediately after this service, in front of the Kingdom 50 display out there, Ed and Kent are going to be out there, and you can sign up for 24 Pray. You can sign up for 30 minutes, one day a week, 30 minutes, and you pray during that 30 minutes. I'll tell you, that kind of commitment 
will take your prayer life to the next level. Now, we don't ask you to just pray off the top of your head. We give you a very detailed prayer guide that you can pray through. So there's also a second thing you can do to take your prayer life to the next level and help us to meet our Kingdom 50 challenge. There's an app called Bless Every Home. This app will give you the names of your 40 closest neighbors along with a scripture that you can pray over each of them. You will receive an email with the names of five of your neighbors once or twice a week. You choose. Now is the time to commit yourself to taking your prayer life to the next level. Ed and Kent are going to be out at the Kingdom 50 display. You can go out to that display and you can sign up for 24 Pray, your 30 minutes that you're going to commit to praying once a week. And you can sign up for Bless Every Home where you can pray and saturate your neighborhood in prayer, believing that God is going to answer those prayers and people are going to be saved and lives are going to be changed and strongholds are going to be broken and marriages are going to be put back together and wayward kids are going to come back to those homes. We're praying for the supernatural activity of God in our community. So you can sign up for Bless Every Home and you can sign up for, for 24 Pray out in this by the Kingdom 50 display. Now, with that being said, I'm going to invite our staff to come, our worship team to come. And we're going to have a moment of worship. And this is your chance to respond to what God has said to you in your heart today. Now, remember, if you want to talk to somebody about committing your life to Jesus, you come to one of our staff members. If you want to talk to our, one of our staff members about joining this church and becoming a part of the body of Christ here, you come to one of our staff members. If you would like for one of our staff members to pray over you, you come to them and tell them specifically what you want them to pray, and they will pray over you today. This is a time to respond to the living God and to his word. Let me pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that through the Holy Spirit's ministry, that you would work powerfully in our hearts. Lord, have your way. Help us to obey you in Jesus' name.